I'm Autumn Lockett. And this is Mitch Randall. And you're listening to Good Faith Weekly. Welcome to Good Faith Weekly. On this episode, Autumn and I are going to catch up. Autumn survives another hailstorm here in the state of Oklahoma. We're going to talk about the possibility of Christmas being canceled because of supply chain problems across the globe. And we're going to sit down and talk a little about Indigenous Peoples Day this week. I had a privilege of visiting Baylor University and delivering a speech on my Native American history. And then later on, the pod, Adam and I sat down with an incredible man doing wonderful work across the globe, Dr. Elijah Brown, the General Secretary for the Baptist World Alliance, and he is just full of energy and excitement about what Baptists are doing all across the globe. So stay tuned for the interview. All right, Autumn, it's October, so you know what that means, right? Tornado season, right? (laughs) October is falls May when it comes to severe weather in Oklahoma. Uh, okay, that is you know, I, for I, I, sure. Okay, so I heard that. Uh, I think one of our local meteorologists said that the other day, or maybe posted it on uh, social media. And I'm going to take task to that because I just want to recall, let everybody recall right here in central Oklahoma that it was almost a year ago to the day. Of course, we had what twelve tornadoes touch down in central Oklahoma on uh, Sunday. Sunday night. And hell storms ripped through Norman once again, uh, destroying cars, homes, windows. It was just crazy. Uh, but it was a year ago that we had an ice storm. <laughs> I just, I don't yeah. understand this, these weather patterns anymore. But yeah, you guys, you guys got a little bit worse than we did uh, over on our side of town. Yeah, we did. This time sort of central Norman was hit and we... I'm just I'm gonna say this and I'm I'm talking right now. If you're an empty nester, I'm really not talking to you. <laughs> okay, I'll um, just sit over here in the corner. Lot. I'll I'll sit over in the corner and be quiet. Yeah, you just hush, because I know I know what you're gonna say. My kids have been on fall break um for three days, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Because you know the whole town of Norman shuts down for OU Texas weekend, which boomer sooner sooner's one. Oh, Sorry yeah. about just Sorry, Stephen Reeves. Um, <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I j- it's Sunday night. I'm looking forward to Monday morning. We're going to wake up and we're going to send all four of these little darlings off to school. It's an early bedtime. We've skipped Sunday nap. So, you know, we're going to have some BBC time. It's we're going to get these kids <laughs> down. 715 Mitch. All three of my youngest are snoring. Mm-hmm. They're oh, snoring. Oh, this I can like, see it. I mean, it's it's a beautiful, beautiful picture. Yes, Norman Wa- Rockwell yes. kind of picture. Bing you know, we would sing a song about this room. <laughs> yeah, I get it. We'd I, put them all in one room just in case there was severe weather. We could grab them all and get them downstairs. The second I stood up to walk out of the bedroom, the tornado sirens went off. <laughs> three little blonde heads pop up. <laughs> all of our Okies are like, get your bicycle helmets. <laughs> So they throw on their bike helmets. We head to our safety closet, and we rode out the storm there. Oh my gosh! Yeah, it was crazy. We were actually out of town, but we were watching it online, and uh, just to see the storm sweep across uh, southern Oklahoma into central Oklahoma and just blow up uh, once they got uh, into the the metro, and I could just see the uh, the darker colors coming to fruition across uh, our city but uh, it's crazy yeah. just another just another uh, piece of evidence to suggest that climate change is absolutely 100% real uh, these weather weather patterns are changing so drastically the weather is just it's just bizarre it's just so crazy and if we don't do something about climate change that should be our number one priority right now 
is trying to address this. And, and you know, the good news is that there are companies, I mean, uh, Ford and Chevy are going to go totally uh, electric uh, in a few years. Uh, there are some people out there that are really working hard at trying to uh, reduce our carbon footprint around the world. And so uh, we're doing what we can here at Good Faith Media. We hope that you are as well. But I'm glad you survived, Autumn, and hopefully all your little darlings got off to school this week. Yes, they did. <laughs> Good. <laughs> well, Autumn, uh, it's also Indigenous Peoples Week. It's actually Indigenous Peoples Day on Monday. Um, slash, and I do mean a slash, some people still celebrate Columbus Day, but uh, there's been a big push uh, over the last decade or so to supplant Columbus Day with Indigenous Peoples Day. So, um, you know, I'm going to start with you. I mean, everybody knows that uh, I've got Native American ancestry, uh, but uh, you had a, an interesting eye-opening moment when you moved to Oklahoma from the Lone Star State. So tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. So when I, you know, was growing up in Texas and even being an adult in Texas, um, I knew of Columbus Day only um, mostly through we were talking about this off air. Like there's always a sell at Macy's on Columbus Day. I don't know why Macy's is like real excited about that. But I didn't really understand, you know, had never really celebrated it. And, you know, that's rare because mm -hmm. we love some holidays in our house. Yeah. yeah. And then. <laughs> and then when we moved to Oklahoma um, and got really plugged in with the university here, uh, you know, the state has a large native presence um, because of you know, the subjugation of white people moving you all here. Sorry about that. Um, and then also working in, in a in a higher education space where there were a lot of, you know, we have uh, tribal leaders who mm -hmm. sit on different boards that I worked with and so got to know, um, you know, like Governor Anna Tubby and some other folks like that, just really getting to understand that Native people are not just uh, a felt board that we learn about in Thanksgiving, but they're like real humans who right, lived yeah. here and, and still do. And um, they celebrate um, here in Oklahoma was the first time I ever heard about Indigenous Peoples Day in lieu of Columbus Day. And it really made a lot of sense to me. Mm. Yeah, you know, I had a great time this week. I uh, was invited down by Baylor University to uh, um, give a presentation, a talk uh, to the student body. It was down. a lecture. It was. Mitch. A, yeah. I mean, elbow patches and all. <laughs> That's right. I just I needed elbow patches. I, I should have should have gotten the coat. Uh, but no, I had a great time with the students. Uh, they asked me to share a little bit about my story and understanding of my heritage and what it meant, uh, particularly uh, in the arena of religious liberty. And so uh, what I, I attempted to do, and I am no scholar, uh, but uh, I am a storyteller. And so I tried to craft a brief history of the Native American culture from uh, pre-Columbus uh, to today. And I think it went really well. It was uh, received uh, you know, well by the student body and the professors. Students asked some great questions um, after the lecture. I just had a really good time. But one of the, some of the most important highlights of the speech that I think uh, that I was able to, to convey was that, believe it or not, America did not begin in 1492. There were actually people living here. There were actually systems <gasps> in place uh, prior I'm to— I'm clutching my pilgrim collar. <laughs> I know. There's a wonderful book by Charles C. Mang uh, uh, entitled 1491. And mm. he talks about all of the uh, indigenous people systems 
and cultures prior to the arrival of Columbus and how complex some of these systems were, especially in Mesoamerica, uh, the Aztecs and Incas and, and all of these ancient cultures, I mean, they were really incredible societies uh, that were built around industry and trade and uh, transportation. I mean, it's just, they were really, really remarkable. And, even, and very advanced. Like, yeah. I've visited some of those sites in central Mexico, and it's just breathtaking, the mathematical precision. And without a calculator, I'm like, honey, how did you do this? It's it's just amazing. Yeah, it really is incredible. And then even here in uh, what is now the United States, uh, in Central North America, I guess I should say, um, that you know the the Plains Indians, uh, as they were referred to, um, the indigenous people of the East Coast and Central and North, uh, really had some complex systems. I mean, they were, they respected land boundaries when there were land disputes. There certainly were. Uh, wars, but there were guidelines to those wars. It was always uh, conducted with the idea that they were heading towards peace and a solution to uh, the disputes that they they were engaged in. Uh, they had an incredible transportation system all across the country, um, you know, and probably one of the most important lines in the entire speech uh, that uh, I delivered was. When Columbus showed up and the settlers began to show up um, and just c continuously uh, you know, to establish what they called the New World, um, they looked across the indigenous landscape and were unable to see the beauty and complexity of the people who already lived here. Mm. But just because white eyes cannot see it does not mean it doesn't exist. Yeah, that's so true, and it's tragic, and it's still occurring today. It is, and that's what, uh, you know, to bring it bring it up to speed uh, to modern times, that's one of the things that I, I tried to, to convey is that, you know, even today, just because some people are unable to see systemic racism, for example, doesn't mean it doesn't exist. It exists. It's there. It happens every day. It's been happening for centuries here in the United States. It's still uh, at work. It's still causing problems and issues, especially for people of color. And just because white eyes can't see it does not mean it's not happening. Mm -hmm. And so we've got to figure out a way to get the scales off of some people's eyes so that we can see what's truly happening. And another thing I thought was important that I said to the students was this. I tell these stories, and they are heartbreaking and infuriating, and will um, will spark all kinds of emotions when you hear them. But I do not tell them simply to make somebody feel guilty for who they are. I tell them to be honest about our future, about our history. Uh, you know, I've talked about the founding fathers and said, you know, they were brilliant men. I mean, they created a system of government, self-government, that is just remarkable. I mean, just absolutely remarkable. But at the same time, they were also flawed human beings. They were slave holders and, and did some terrible things to their slaves. You know, it, just because they were great in one area doesn't mean that they were great in all areas. And just because they were horrible in one area doesn't mean they were horrible in all areas. I think we have to be honest about the complexities of our history and our origins. And when we're honest about that, it helps us understand who we are today in the hope 
that we never repeat uh, the past, uh, especially when we see injustices uh, that are clearly present in our past. So, so it was it was a good time in Baylor. Uh, had a good time down there. Students were great. Uh, shout out to uh, Dr. Doug Weaver and uh, Dr. Elizabeth Fowler. Uh, they did a great job hosting us, and we appreciate our time down there as always. Well, Autumn, I also hear that Christmas may be canceled. Yeah, there's a a lot of hullabaloo right now about supply chain and uh, shipping problems and ports of entry. And um, it feels a little bit like that scene in The Music Man where he's like, trouble, 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 (laughs) and trying to sort of rev people up. I'm not I'm sure there are some supply chain issues. We've heard about this in all kinds of spaces. You think about construction, um, you try to get your car fixed. Things like this are definitely happening. I think the toy makers and Amazon and Target <laughs> may be sort of at the heart of this news as well. They're trying to get you to buy early. Uh, are you saying they're trying to drive up demand maybe? <laughs> maybe just a little just bit. Just a little yes. bit. Just a little bit. So, mm-hmm. Well, let's just mm-hmm. take them for the word and say that there are supply chain uh, problems. And, and there certainly are. I mean, we were out in California uh, last month and we were driving down the, the bay there down uh, near Long Beach, and we saw all kinds of long lines uh, in the harbor, uh, ships with mm-hmm. huge containers just lined up trying to get in. Uh, so I, I know it's a reality, but you know what? It is what it is. I've got confidence in industry that uh, eventually, uh, as we're continuing to come out of the pandemic, and I always knock on wood uh, when I say that because of all of these variants that tend to creep up, but as we're hopefully coming out of the pandemic now, um, you know, I've, I've just got confidence that uh, you know, industry and corporations are going to figure a way around it. But if they don't, and I really truly mean this, if they don't, and there is a disruption in supply chains, and because they're tying it to Christmas, I have all the faith in the world in parents and grandparents and their creativity to this is actually an opportunity, I see it as, mm-hmm. as revisioning what Christmas is all about. Are you about to get all Dickens on me? <laughs> Would you like to take it from here? <laughs> <laughs> yes, that Christmas is more than consumerism. And we know that, you know, definitely a way that we show love in our house to our kids is we love to bring home the toy magazine and they will write their little letters by the things that they would like. They're not going to get all of them, but definitely it's a way you show love to your kids at Christmas. But the thing about Christmas is that it's, it's not all about the toys. And if you asked your kids what they got for Christmas last year, they probably couldn't even tell you. (laughs) And so making sure that you dig in and have those times where you sit on the couch and snuggle and smell the tops of their heads. Like that's what Christmas really is. Yeah, absolutely. So I've got all confidence in the world that uh, this could be a very special Christmas, Uh, even though the supply chains may be down. I think uh, all of our families will be very creative in reminding all of us that uh, Christmas is about something more special than just uh, presents under a tree. So uh, it's presence of family and friends and uh, a God who loves us more than we can even imagine. So, well, Autumn, you and I had the distinct pleasure of sitting down with the General Secretary for the Baptist World Alliance, which sounds like a 
ominous title. <laughs> it sounds like we're going to the Empire and talking to It you really for... <laughs> does, yeah. I was expecting more spandex to be present in the screening when we visited with him. <laughs> uh, but uh, Elijah Brown is nothing like that whatsoever. He is a kind, gentle man uh, of God and just... Uh, uh, has been working with the BWA now for several years, and the Baptist World Alliance has got an incredible history uh, going back over 100 years. Uh, he talks about uh, the Baptist World Alliance response to the Spanish flu autumn uh, and how that played a part in this recent pandemic. So it's a great interview. I uh, hope that you stick around uh, and listen to Elijah. They've got a lot of uh, neat things happening at the Baptist World Alliance that he wants to tell us about. So stay tuned. I'm Reverend Starlet Thomas a womanist in ministry, and the host of the Raceless Gospel podcast from Good Faith Media. It's season two, and we're still talking about that taboo trinity, race, religion, and politics. This season of the Raceless Gospel has eight episodes, eight podcast church services. The doors of this church are open, and we're going to talk about the sticks and stones we carry faithfully that break the skin and bones of Christ's body. And on each episode, we're joined by those who bring perspective and insight as to how we set these broken bones and perhaps make things right. The Raceless Gospel Podcast, eight episodes. I'm your podcast pastor, Reverend Starlet Thomas. Join us as we discuss the church in North America's bodywork. Learn more at goodfaithmedia.org. Welcome back to Good Faith Weekly. On this episode, we've got a very special guest with us. Elijah Brown began his ministry as Baptist World Alliance General Secretary in 2018. The General Secretary is the CEO of BWA, has overall responsibilities for the administration operations of the organization, and is a chief representative to global organizations and institutions, ecclesiastical, secular, and also government entities. Brown became involved in the BWA in 2005 and served the Global Baptist family in various ways for more than a decade before joining the staff, including roles as BWA Regional Secretary for North America and General Secretary for the North American Baptist Fellowship. Before coming to BWA, he was previously Executive Vice President of 21 Wilberforce, a Christian human rights organization based in Virginia, and Associate Professor of Religion at East Texas Baptist University, where he was founding director of the Freedom Center. Well, it sounds like you're pretty busy, but welcome to Good Faith Weekly, Dr. Brown. Well, Mitch, it's always a joy to be together with you. We are so thankful that you're here with us this morning. Don't hear an ETBU reference very often, so I was excited about that as a Texas girl, going to ETBU for camps and such. So how did you how did you get from Texas to Virginia? Well, Autumn, that, that's a great question, and um, uh, I, I did grow up in the rural Texas. I grew up outside of Austin in a really small community. My address growing up was P.O. Box B. That's all you needed to uh, get mailed to us. Uh, but, you know, I've long been involved in the Baptist Alliance. Mitch, as you so graciously introduced since 2005, and ETBU was uh, really generous in enabling me to continue to maintain those connections with the broader Baptist community and, in fact, the broader world, even while I was serving as uh, on faculty there. So in um, uh, Randall Everett, 
uh, called me one day. Randall was the former executive director of the Baptist General Convention of Texas, and he said, listen, we're going to be starting up an organization called 21 Wilberforce focused on religious freedom around the world, and would you consider moving from Marshall to uh, just outside uh, Washington, D.C. to help us get this going? And so that's how we made that transition. We moved in the middle of winter. We had a little boy who was 14 months pregnant. Uh, my 14 months, my wife was six months pregnant. Oh, wow. Um, and about 10 days later, we were on a plane to northern Iraq and were less than uh, two miles from territory held by ISIS, staring through a sandbag oh bunker goodness. at territory controlled. And I kept thinking, you know, 10 days ago, I was living on the campus <laughs> of ETBU. We had a great support system. What choices have I made? But it was a difficult <laughs> blessing from the Lord to, to get us to that point and then from there. Uh, that's a great story. <laughs> that's incredible. So now you're working with BWA. For our listeners who may not be as familiar with Baptist World Alliance, can you give us sort of an overview of the organization and its mission? The BWA was formed in 1905. Since the 1940s, our headquarters have been outside Washington, D.C. Today, there are 241 different Baptist conventions and unions that come together uh, within the BWA family to try to network uh, our Baptist world together to impact the world for Christ. We do that through uh, trying to lead out in areas of worship and in Christian unity, especially among the Baptist family, trying to encourage mission and evangelism, supporting aid and relief, defending human rights and uh, religious freedom and justice around the world, and advancing theological reflection and leadership. Uh, today, the BWA family has about 49 million Baptists that are part of it, uh, and about 170,000 churches in 126 countries and territories. Lots of Baptists around the world. <laughs> Amen. Which means lots of committees. We know what that means. <laughs> That's right. That's exactly right. Uh, well, uh, Elijah, let's talk a little bit about, obviously, we are hopefully coming out of a global pandemic, but I just can't imagine how the pandemic has affected BWA's work, uh, Baptist work all across the country. So just kind of give us an update uh, where BWA is uh, in their response through the pandemic and how it's affected uh, your work overall. Last year, the BWA was able to formally launch a new network of Baptist aid agencies from around the world called the BWA Forum on Aid and Development. We'd been working on that for several years and just so grateful that in the timing of the Lord, we were able to bring that into fruition just as the pandemic was getting going. And together, this aid network has been collaborating in a wide range of responses around the world, including in really the first. Uh, in the first opening months of COVID, we know that through this network, more than 1 million people received some sort of direct support um, as they struggled through this pandemic. Even now, we've just launched a second round of major COVID funding to assist many around the world who are continuing to live in the grips of this really horrific disease. Uh, last year, uh, the Baptist World Alliance gave out more than 120 emergency aid grants, more aid grants wow. than we had ever given in the 100-year history of the Baptist World Aid. Uh, Mitch, in, in autumn, uh, the, the, the reason why there is a Baptist World Aid is because of the Spanish flu pandemic of 1918. Mm -hmm. When that pandemic hit, the BWA Executive Committee said, we have to respond to this. And so that over 20, uh, over uh, 1919, they gathered funds. And in 1920, as a response to this, they launched the very first Baptist World Aid gift. And so what a profound moment it was last year 
on the 100-year celebration of the very first Baptist World Aid gift to be recognizing it is again a global pandemic, which is calling us to live as generously as we can. And there are still so many around the world that are impacted. There is a great disparity of, uh, uh, of, of equitable access to COVID vaccines. Still, there are many, many places around the world that have no access to any vaccines whatsoever. And the BWA has made it a priority over this last year. We meet on a regular basis, for example, with the White House to continue to encourage a more just and equitable distribution of the COVID vaccine. But we know that uh, 47 million women and girls are gonna take a step back into absolute poverty because of the long-term impacts of the COVID-19 vaccine, having to stay home, loss of jobs, loss of education. So we're asking really um, uh, difficult questions. How do we stand alongside uh, all who've been impacted, but, but including women and girls who've had to bear such a disproportional impact because of the, the realities uh, of this, uh, this COVID-19 pandemic? And we know that many leaders around the world continue to struggle with this. I think, for example, I, I was on a call this summer uh, with one of our leaders from Myanmar who said that in the last 30 days that they had had 70 pastors succumb to COVID-19. So this very much remains a very real reality for so many around the world. Elijah, as a Baptist, I'm so thankful to know that BWA is out there, you know, working among the local churches around the world and doing such good work in combating COVID-19 and helping empower these communities uh, with the resources they need. So uh, just as one person in Norman, Oklahoma, thank you very much for all you're doing. It's an honor and it is a joy. And Mitch, it's an opportunity for all of us to be called first to prayer and second to the actions that we can take. Those of us who have access to vaccines, those of us who have access to resources that the rest of the world is still praying for ought to take every advantage and see it as our responsibility to do our part, even in our own local context. Well said. Yeah, it is. It's just really refreshing to hear um, people of faith who don't just stop with the prayers part. I know prayer is effective and I know that it's a tool in our toolkit. But you're absolutely right that especially where where we live, we have other tools in our toolkits that when we can really tap into that place, it isn't so selfish that we can give. So that's such a good reminder and thankful that BWA is leading through that. Um, in addition to your COVID response, you you all respond to catastrophes of all kinds and not just pandemics, although it sounds like we're keeping you busy with those. Um, I know you all responded to the floods in Germany this summer, the Haitian earthquake a few months ago. Can you tell us about what that response looks like and uh, sort of your goals with that? There are so many challenges around the world mm -hmm. right now. The ones that you just uh, so well articulated and so many more. I, I think about, for example, Myanmar. Uh, in February of this year, the democratically elected government was overthrown by the Myanmar uh, military, and it is a deeply tragic situation. I was on a call with the UN ambassador from Myanmar uh, to the United Nations, and he said that the average age 
of those who have been killed protesting on behalf of democracy, on behalf of elections, is 17. 17. I think, for example, about there's a, a, a theological seminary, Baptist Theological Seminary in, in Myanmar, and in March of this year, the military showed up at that seminary about one o'clock uh, in the morning or one o'clock at night. They showed up with about 15 different military vehicles, about 60 different soldiers, and they began going room by room, dorm by dorm, looking for one of the New Testament professors who had been an outspoken advocate denouncing the military junta and denouncing instances where the military had occupied church compounds. Fortunately, she was able to escape. Though she continues to live as a displaced person today, she literally fled through a window into the jungle. And as we visited with her with with tears in her eyes as we were on a Zoom call together, she said, when will the international community raise its voice for those of us who are victims? Just a few weeks ago, the very first Baptist pastor was killed since the military coup. This Baptist pastor had received a call that one of his, the homes of one of his parishioners had been set on fire by the military. So the pastor ran down to stand with the family as they watched their home being burned to the ground. And when the pastor arrived, the military shot and killed him on the spot. Just a few days later, Pastor Song, another Baptist pastor in Myanmar, was walking down the street when an unmarked military uh, vehicle uh, pulled up next to him, just walking home, and pulled him into a van. And we were told just uh, about two weeks ago that he was handed down a seven-year sentence. Uh, No court proceedings. Uh, but handed a seven-year sentence. And so I'd ask for uh, all of us, would you pray for Pastor Song? Would you pray for his family? Would you pray that he would be released? And I want you to know, not just pray, write and engage. You can go to the Baptist World site, baptistworld.org slash Myanmar. There's a host of campaign opportunities there. And, And I want you to know, it really can make a difference. This weekend, one of our leaders in Myanmar emailed me, and this leader said, although Pastor Song has not been released, The voice of advocacy that has been lifted up has already made a difference, and the military is now aware that when religious leaders are targeted, worldwide religious communities are going to respond and advocate. And we've already seen over the last two weeks that religious leaders are no longer being targeted at the Mm -hmm. same rate that they had been. Now, that's great news if you're a religious leader. That's a great testimony that advocacy from Norman, Oklahoma to around the world can make a profound difference, but we will not rest until every citizen is not being targeted. Elijah, thanks for sharing that story. And and we've been talking about Miramar for quite some time. We've got uh, certainly contacts over there. And BWA has been an incredible leader in bringing this to everybody's attention. And with your passion for religious liberty and standing up for those who suffer from religious persecution, um, Miramar obviously is one of the hot spots around the world. Are there any others that we need to be aware of uh, that we need to be praying for and advocating for? Ask myself this question. 
Uh, Mitch, I asked myself this question last year. I, I said, if somebody were to ask me, where are the Baptists who are living in the most vulnerable context in the world? How would I answer that question? Mm-hmm. So Autumn, I, I spent some time, I, I dug back into those ETBU research professor roots, and, and, I, and I, I, we, we put together a brand new BWA vulnerability list. And, and on this vulnerability list, the, the categories are hunger, where are there places in the world where Baptists are living in context of great hunger, religious uh, freedom restrictions, war and uh, communal violence, and challenges in livelihood defined as um, birth rate, uh, defined by average income, defined by access to education. So we just asked this question, are there any Baptists in the world who are simultaneously facing challenges in hunger? livelihood, persecution, and war and violence. And then we wrote to all of our regional secretaries around the world and asked them to also weigh in on some of these. And in the end, we were able to rank all 126 where there uh, countries where there is an official uh, BWA Baptist presence, and nine countries emerged on that. Nine countries where Baptists are living in extraordinary vulnerability. Now, now that's not to say that every one of those Baptists is themselves vulnerable. In fact, some of them are responding in really profound ways and have much to teach us. In some ways, I feel like those of us who are living in the West, we're we're perhaps living in the most gospel vulnerable area uh, uh, realities because we so often really hold to a holistic gospel that, that Jesus Christ himself so clearly laid out for us. But But be that as this may, these are Baptists who are living in really vulnerable contexts. Baptists in India, Baptists in Syria, Baptists in Ethiopia, Baptists in the Central African Republic, Baptists in Nigeria, all of these are contexts. And so what we're asking this year and what we're asking moving forward is uh, how can all of us stand alongside these Baptists who are living and ministering in the most vulnerable context and give them priority Hmm. well said another important facet of bwa's work is human rights and justice which we've touched on a bit in our interview already but we want to talk a little bit more about human migration that's been something that we've been talking a lot about to different folks we had uh, fellowship southwest on the podcast uh, a couple weeks ago Um, While living in the States, most of the focus remains, of course, on our southern border. Are there other places around the world where people are fleeing violence or um, famine? How does BWA respond to these situations? There are more than 70 million people today who've been forced to flee from their home, whether they're living as refugees or they're living as internally displaced people. And to put that in context, that means that there are more people who've been forced to flee their home here in 2021 than, than any other point since World War II. This is a generational challenge, and we need to, uh, first of all, remind ourselves that the faith that we have been given is one of migration. Uh, This is not our home, the scriptures teach us, and it is important for us to rearticulate a theology of migration. Um, And and so we want to begin there by recognizing that we ourselves are called to embrace these realities. Uh, Second, of course, the BWA is involved and others are involved, such as uh, just earlier this year, EBF, the European Baptist Federation, one of the six regions of the BWA, appointed for the very first time uh, an individual to professionally lead in their ongoing migratory responses. And so certainly there are many around the world who are engaging 
And we also recognize that these are multifaceted challenges, everything from war and violence to persecution to hunger to environmental issues. I think about, for example, in Nigeria, the largest uh, nomadic people group in the world are the Fulani. They cross over about four different countries in Western Africa, including Nigeria. And because of ongoing environmental degradation, they're forced to bring their cattle and their, their herds further and further south. And because there's no history of a relationship and because of a number of other factors, this is leading to increased volatility inside that region. Well, one of the factors there, of course, is environmental degradation. So as we take seriously our own biblical commitments, as we take seriously uh, these realities, the, the push factors, and as we take seriously environmental challenges, uh, we, we can speak a prophetic word. Mm-hmm. Well said. Elijah, I'm going to ask you to just take off your general secretary hat for just a second, because at the core, you're a human being and you're a person of faith that I admire greatly. Um, you've already told us about some situations that you've been in in Iraq. You are very closely associated with what's going on over with Pastor Song in Myanmar. Um, there was a time where you and I shared some uh, time together in Lviv, Ukraine. You accompanied a group of Baptist, uh, Baptist contingency or contingency over to that war-torn area and toured that country and what was going on. You see a lot of things. You hear about a lot of things. As a person of faith, that's got to affect you. So how do you deal with all of the difficulties that you see in the world and still have hope that the gospel can take hold and transform this world that we're in? Uh, Mitch, um, thank you for the, the question. There are days I get it right and days I get it wrong. At the end of the day, it just means so much, of course, to be able to go home and also hug my family and to dig back into the word. And the verse that I have been holding on to this year in particular is Romans 14, 17, which says that the kingdom of God is not a matter of what you eat and drink, or I think we might put it today, the kingdom of God is not a matter of what you can consume. Mm-hmm. But then Paul goes on to say, it is a matter of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. And I think every one of us have an opportunity to think about righteousness, that is, what is our relationship with God? Uh, Peace, that is, what is our relationship with those who are around us? And joy. So I've I've prayed more intentionally this year than I have perhaps any other year uh, before that the Lord would help me to live a kind of faith that exhibits joy in the Holy Spirit. Not joy in the circumstances, uh, those come and go. Uh, Not not joy in success, that also comes and goes. But joy in the Holy Spirit. And so, Mitch, I I would just encourage all of us, could we, is that that a prayer that we could gather around? Mm -hmm. Lord, would you help us to live out our witness, your witness, your kingdom, not as one of consumption, but as one of righteousness, peace, 
and joy in the Holy Spirit. Well, we want you to know that uh, we're praying for you at Good Faith Weekly. We're praying for your staff and all of our colleagues around the world who are doing incredible work. We know that uh, you can get caught up in the milieu of trying to work policy and to to just uh, just and I mean this in the best sense of the term the politics of, of what's going on around the world and and you forget the emotional side of it and how it affects your mental health and it's just got to be taxing so uh, we're praying for you we're supporting you and, and hope for the best for you and all our Baptists around the world thank you so Baptist World Alliance has something special right around the corner. Could you talk to us a little bit about uh, BWA's Praise and Prayer Hour called Beyond the Headlines? On Tuesday, October the 19th, and then again on Wednesday, October the 20th, the BWA is going to be hosting a 45-minute a worship and prayer celebration we're calling Beyond the Headlines. That'll be Tuesday the 19th at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, and then again replayed on Wednesday, October 20th at 8 a.m. Uh, that'll be on YouTube. You don't, you don't, it doesn't cost anything, but this will be a 45 minutes to hear these kinds of stories and others that we weren't able to cover uh, in this particular podcast, where you'll hear a, a variety of stories that go beyond the headlines. Uh, we know that uh, uh, situations show up on our headlines and then they fall off again. Um, and, and for a variety of reasons, but of course, the, the, the challenges, the tragedies, and the joys are still ongoing in all of those places. And so we'd invite all of you to come and to join us. Uh, you can find out more information about that on our website. That's baptistworld.org slash beyond dash the dash headlines. Or you can follow us on YouTube at Baptist World Alliance and just tune in uh, again on Tuesday, October 19th at 8 p.m. Eastern time or Wednesday, October 20th at 8 a.m. Eastern time. And Elijah, before we uh, let you go, and Autumn's got one last question for you. Um, obviously, all of these incredible meetings that BWA has been involved in over their decades of work uh, got suspended during COVID. So I'm imagining that you're really looking forward to, you know, looking people in the eyeball around the world uh, physically. Uh, what's the next in-person meeting you got scheduled that we're all hoping to attend? That's right. As an extrovert, I am uh, deeply longing for a time for all of us to be together again. It's just such a joy, of course, when we can gather and hear one another's stories and experience the presence of Christ in one another. We do anticipate that the next BWA annual meeting this upcoming July 11th through 15th will be in person and will be held on the campus of Samford University in Birmingham, Alabama. So this would be a great opportunity if you've always wanted to get engaged in the BWA or hear about the BWA and you want to come and learn, come and join us this summer, July 11th through 15th at, uh, on the campus of Samford University in Birmingham, Alabama. And this, this particular annual gathering, I think, has the potential of being especially meaningful, not only because it'll be the first time we've been together in person, but also because this upcoming annual gathering is going to focus in particular on issues of racial justice. Mm. We anticipate having every one of our commissions look at the theme of racial justice, whether that's through how racial justice impacts theological education or impacts discipleship or impacts human rights or impacts the way aid is distributed, all of the many different ways that the issues of racial injustice continues to permeate our world, we're going to be tackling that subject 
together, and we're going to be tackling it with leading experts and practitioners from around the world. So I hope all of our Baptists from across North America will come and join us. Uh, for this very special gathering. And one of our colleagues, uh, Reverend Starla Thomas, is really excited about uh, the work that BWA is doing in racial justice. I know she'll be there along with uh, Good Faith Media. And uh, I hope that, uh, you know, you'll be giving out lemonade in Alabama in July because it's going to be a little hot down there. <laughs> uh, well, Elijah, before we let you go, and again, it's just been a pure joy having you as a guest, uh, Good Faith Weekly. Uh, but before we let you go, Autumn's got one last question for you. Yes, our tagline at Good Faith Media is there's more to tell. And we sort of fancy ourselves as a giant megaphone for our partner organizations and our, our friends at Good Faith Media. So we like to give our guests an opportunity to let our listeners know what their more to tell is. We'll go to the website, baptistworld.org, and uh, we'll see you next week for Beyond the Headlines, joining us worship uh, through uh, on YouTube. Or go to the website, baptistworld.org slash Myanmar, and allow the Lord to use your voice on behalf of the voiceless and the victims around the world. Elijah Brown, General Secretary for the Baptist World Alliance. You can find out more about the Baptist World Alliance at baptistworld.org. Sir, it's always a pleasure, and I so look forward to sharing the same space with you very, very soon. The pleasure is all ours. Thank you, Mitch and Autumn. Uh, well, listeners, thank you so much for tuning in this week. We appreciate you every week that uh, you listen to this podcast. If you want to support the ministries of Good Faith Media, check us out at goodfaithmedia.org and consider making a donation. Until next week, as always, we want to encourage you to keep living good faith. <laughs>